right, guys. Well, hey, so glad you guys are chatting and getting to know one another. And there's so many of you in the room that I don't know, and you maybe don't know me, but my name is Greg Brooks. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at Outpost Community Church. Um, and by one of the pastors, I believe that every one of our members is a pastor who's called to be a minister of God's grace. And so I'm so thankful that we get to gather together to do that. If you're new here, I just want to tell you, we love you, and Christ loves you, and we're so excited to open the Word together. So if you have a Bible, whether it's on your phone or it's uh, that big, uh, heavy thing in your lap, open it up and go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. We are making our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. It's a fantastic, incredibly relevant book letter to people in Corinth that feels in a lot of ways like it's written directly to me, like God was, knew that I needed it, and I think that our people needed it. And so we're going to read verses 1 through 9, and then we're going to dive into it together. And by the Lord's grace, kindness, and His strength, we're all going to learn a little bit more about our God and uh, how to follow Him more rightly and more together, okay? So let me read this. You guys can follow along as I read starting at verse 1 of chapter 3 in 1 Corinthians, says this, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, and as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Father, without your help this morning, without your enlightening of our eyes to see the truth, we will not see it. We'll be blind. We'll be deaf. And God, I just pray by your power, you would help us to hear and see. God, that you would help uh, me to speak. But most of all, God, we pray that you would just work in us to will and to work for your good pleasure and that you'd be glorified in us as we study. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I'm so pumped. Um, growing or growing up or growth in general is so important. It's what life is all about. Growth is what we, talks, it's what we, uh, what's what motivates us. It's what our questions are all about. It's what our interests are made up of. How can we grow, Right? We talk about it all the time. We want to grow muscle, so we go to the gym. Or maybe we want to grow thinner. Or uh, your hair has gotten way too long. It's grown too long. When are you going to cut it? How have the kids grown? Are they getting bigger? What does it look like? Where are they going to school? Uh, how are you growing your assets? Are you growing your bank account? Are you growing your, uh, how big your house is? We talk about growth all the time. It's, it drives all of our questions. It drives our interests. It drives our motivations. We want to grow. And is growth a good thing? Yes. It's such a good thing. It's a great thing. It's a great thing because God says it is a great thing. We are meant to grow. But growing, even though growing is good, not all things that grow are good. Am I right? 
Because plants grow and they can give us fruit, but so do weeds. Anybody who's ever done a garden knows that to be true, uh, right? You can grow muscles, but cancer also grows. You can grow relationships, but you can also grow apart. Growth is a good thing, but not everything that grows is good. And back in the Garden of Eden, when time began and God created this world that was meant to grow, it was growing perfectly. It was good. Everything in it was growing well until one spiritual evil, the greatest dark force against all that is good, came in and planted a seed of doubt and pride in the conscience of the first two people, Adam and Eve. And that began to grow in them. And growth became less about growing and growing towards God and more about advancement, which is different. Who is this God to hold back truth from us? We want to grow just as smart as him. We want to be just as wise as him. So we are going to take to advance ourselves beyond him. And so from then on, what happened? People began to grow jealous, right? And we have the first murder, a brother killing his brother out of jealousy. And people grow so prideful that they eventually build up a tower so they could reach to the heavens. And so what ends up happening is men begin to grow in ways that's more like advancement, more like getting past people than growing in a healthy way that God intended. And so when sin entered the world, a world that was not meant for sin things began to grow divided and divisive. And so the innocent desire for growth is tainted by selfish desire for advancement. And so God, if you fast forward uh, thousands of years, you eventually get to a town called Corinth, who, which we've been studying about. And in Corinth, we see the same human story, right? We've been reading and talking about that. People working themselves to the bones to grow strong, to grow rich, to grow famous, educated, influential, this is what they were pursuing. And like us, they played the comparison game. Something that you're doing when you walked into this building, you're looking around. Guys, if you're anything like me, you do the little size up thing, all right? Can I take that guy? I think I could take him. You're laughing, but us guys, we do that until at least 65. And then we're like, you know what? In my day, I could have took him. That's <laughs> true. It's funny how strong all 65-year-old men used to be. Um, but that's what ends up happening. They begin to, it's all about advancement. So the culture in Corinth, which is a lot like the culture in Cody, is it's all about getting past the people to your right and to your left. And by all means, do not fall back to the people that are behind you. You got to grow. You got to grow. You got to grow. You got to move forward. But in all that drive and all that growing, even though it's good, it's good to stop acting like a child and to grow up and start acting like a man. It's good to learn addition, but it's also good to move on and learn multiplication and maybe algebra, and I'll stop there because it's not good to go beyond that. <laughs> but hey, guys, the reality is growth is a necessity. But outward growth, I think it's too much focus. Much of our focus is always on, guys, think about this in your daily life. You're thinking about how you can improve your house, grow your bank account, grow, grow, grow. It's all these things on the outside, but the most important growth, and I'm not saying this just as a pastor. I'm not saying this just as a Christian. It's the truth. The most important growth that we need in our life is a spiritual growth. It's who we are on the inside. Because you and I know that we can never have enough money. We can never have a big enough house. 
We can grow in all the ways that we desire and still be just as dead and broken and lonely and lost and hopeless as we ever were in our entire life. And in fact, the poorest but wise youth who has the wisdom of God and who trusts and is growing spiritually can have far more than the Jeff Bezos, far more hope, far more peace. And so in Corinth, you know, I would guess uh, that it's their problem and our problem, many of the rooms uh, around here and a lot of you guys in the rows you're sitting in, is what ends up happening is we want to grow spiritually. Anybody in here want to grow spiritually? You're like, man, that's me, I want to. So what we do typically is we're like, well, I should read my Bible more. I, I, I should pray more. I should go, I got to go to church. I should go to church. They should go to church, right? I should practice more spiritual disciplines. Anybody ever do that? Anybody like, you like, you sin big, man. You went, you went big and you sin. What do you do like the next day? Man, I'm, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to pray. I'm going to memorize scripture. I'm going to start fasting. I don't even know what that's about, but I'm going to try it. And you start going after it. What do we do? We start doing. We start chasing down all these things. But you know what? I'm going to tell you something. You can read the Bible every year. You can memorize all the verses. You can fast and pray. You can pray without ceasing. But you won't grow. You're not going to grow. You could do all those things, and it's not going to work. You could do all these things, and you could try to grow in your faith. You can actually try to mature. You could try to advance. And you could do it. In a lot of ways, I think we do it because we see people around us who memorize scripture or reading, and we're like, okay, I don't want to be that weird, awkward sinner. And so to insulate myself from the fear of what other people might think about me, I'm going to go learn all these things. But the reality is God did not want to create smarter sinners. He came to give us life and life abundantly. Okay? And so today we're going to look at what Paul is talking about because he's looking at a group of people who in a lot of ways are smart. They've learned the things. They're advancing in all the ways, but yet they're still immature, broken, hopeless, and divided amongst themselves. So there's something in that. And uh, I think since all of you or most of you are saying, yeah, I do want to grow spiritually, we need to find out how do we grow? So here's the thesis statement. I'm going to tell you right on the front end, and then we're going to walk through Scripture, and we're going to see if it shows that, okay? Here's the thesis. True growth begins with, is dependent on, and is maintained by God and God alone. True growth begins with, is dependent on, and is maintained by God. So let's take a look at it. Verse 1, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. So what is Paul doing first? Paul's addressing where they were and how his ministry started with them. What did he do? He came in like a coach and he taught them the basics, right? What's that famous coach who holds up a football and he says, boys, this is a football, Right? It's just starting with a simple thing, starting with the basics. Now, when you read this, you think he's calling them children. That's really condescending. But he's not being condescending. Because shouldn't you start off new believers with new and basic things? Absolutely. So he starts them off because those who are in their first mile of faith, when they devote daily to God's word and prayer, it's going to look a lot different than their 20th year of doing that. As it should. So he started them with basic things. He, start, he uses the analogy of milk simple things that even a child can do and learn. 
And he starts them there because that's the way we should start, with the basics. I don't know if you guys have seen the show, The Chosen. Anybody seen The Chosen? It's fantastic. I don't know what your hot take is on it. My hot take is it's amazing. I cry almost every episode. I love it. Um, but in the first episode of season two, there's a scene where Jesus and his disciples are going to stay at the house uh, of the woman at the well. And when they get to the door, the door opens, and the husband of the woman, uh, the woman at the well, is sitting there. The man that she's now living with is standing there. And he's welcoming them in, but he says one of the rooms is haunted, which is kind of funny. And Jesus, as he's going in, what does he say? He says, I'll take that room. And so they go in there, they stay the night. Well, they're waking up in the morning. Jesus is waking up, and uh, John, uh, the disciple, and his brother James are in the same room as Jesus. And Jesus says, hey, how'd you guys sleep? And John just says, man, I, I hardly slept last night. And he goes, oh, yeah? He's like, yeah, it was just that, that haunting thing got in my head. And Jesus goes, well, it's not haunted, guys. And so James sits up, and he looks at him, and he goes, well, then why didn't you correct the guy when he said that? And Jesus says something that I think is absolutely true. Uh, the actor, Jesus, says this. He says, I don't address everything all at once with my new believers. And I think that's true. Listen, wherever you are, we say at, at Outpost all the time, we want to be and make fully devoted followers of Christ. Full, demotion, full devotion does not mean that you're perfect. It means that wherever you are, you're taking the next step. That's what it means. And the expectation is if this is your first year, your first few steps, we expect you to topple over sometimes like a toddler. None of us, when we look at our children, when they first began to walk, you know, and they first started walking, and they like walked straight in the wall, they're like, you idiot! Put one foot in front of the other. What are you, six months old? They're six months old. They're nine months old, right? Like, they're little, so when they walk and they follow, we just go, oh my gosh, good job, well done, buddy. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, when, in the beginning, I fed you with milk and I gave you the things that you needed. The problem wasn't where they were. The problem is that they didn't progress. Hey, where you are is okay. It's just not okay to stay there. Now, it doesn't mean that you need to move on to Calvin's Institutes. It doesn't mean you need to move on to dispensationalism or the history of the church from the beginning to the Reformation. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is that it, he means that our life should become strengthened and deeply affected by the basic truths of the Christian faith in a way that changes your basic human desires. See, far too many of us, we want to move on to deeper and more memory verses and more things, but we didn't get the basics. You know what the basics does? The basic truth of the gospel does to us. It does Galatians 5, 21 through 22. You know what it says? It says this, or 22 through 24. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control question is, did those people, did the Corinthians, are you, have you rooted yourself in the, in the basic truths of God, and are they so rooted in you that they begin to change what you love? Verse 24 says, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh and its passions and desires. In other words, when you understand, guys, just the, listen, just the basic truth, your desires begin to change. What you love changes. Instead of those situations giving you a lot of anxiety, suddenly you find yourself having peace all of a sudden. 
You find yourself being gentle to others. Your boss is wigging out on you and you find yourself being patient. That doesn't come through complex theological dispensationalism. It comes through a simple understanding of the basic truth and letting that basic truth sit within you deeply and richly. But Paul says that doesn't happen in Corinth. He says this, and even now, he says that's how we started, but even now you are not ready. Look at verse 3. For you are still in the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? You're acting like the world. You're doing what everybody else does who doesn't know the gospel. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Paulus, are you not being merely human? So what's happening? The reality is they're being stunted by selfishness. Their growth and their progression is stunted by selfishness. That's why he says they could not, were not, even now, not yet, and are still not growing, not moving forward. Man, is that you? Have you been like reading God's word and like, man, I've been praying. He just doesn't feel close. And you're doing all these things, but you're not letting it sit within you. Romans 8, Paul says it beautifully. Romans 8, 5 through 8, he says this. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. That's what they focus on. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. You know what happens when you set your mind on the flesh? He tells us. For those who set their mind on the flesh, or to set the mind on the flesh is death. It leads to deadness in you. That's not growth. I don't know about you, but like last time I saw something die, it didn't grow. But he says this, for those who set their minds on the Spirit have life and peace. And I know you want life and peace, right? That's what it comes to. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. So Paul's doing a superb job of, he's showing us, guys, uh, that what we focus on affects how we live and vice versa. And when we're seeing it playing out in the Corinthians' lives, their minds were still set on fleshly things. Their minds were still bringing in the world's culture of advancement. They brought it into the church. To advance meant you need to surpass everybody in ethic, in knowledge, in competency. But here's the thing is, guys, listen to this. You're doing it even now as you're sitting here. But the reality is the me versus the world, my me versus those around me ethic does not actually belong to the church. It has no place here. If you came in here somehow to justify yourself or you find that tendency of like, man, woe is me and I'm not a good guy. Like, look at that guy. Look what he's doing. And you're just sitting there just like, uh, navel gazing. That's selfishness. And what do people who just stare at their navels walking around, what do they do? They walk into walls. They walk off cliffs. They're setting their minds on the things of the flesh and they're finding death in them. That's not what God wants for us to do. God wants us to get our eyes up is what scripture tells us. So Jesus tells us that if you want to advance, what does he say? If you really want to move forward, what do you got to do? You got to help others move forward. You get your eyes up and you look at others and you look at them in the eyes and you say, I want you to move forward. Jesus says, man, if you want to be first, my friend, you got to get used to being last. And what's our example? Do we have a good example? Jesus himself, Mark 10, 45 says, for even the son of man, that's Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Man, if you ask any world leader, 
what they think about this growth strategy, they'll call you crazy. They're like, no, I'm not planning to lay my life down. I'm planning to get my name on as many billboards as humanly possible. I'm trying to take over all the social networks and put in my face right in front of you always. I'm not going to die for you, but that's the way that our God did it. And in one act, our God, he gave his life to move forward the lives of millions across the world. You guys know Napoleon Bonaparte, uh, he said this one time, talking about Jesus. Napoleon said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every person in the world, there is no possible term of comparison. Listen to what he says. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions of men would die for him. Is that true? Is Jesus the leader you would die for? Then what is it looking like right now as you die right now? To live for him and to push forward those that he loves. The ministry of Christ was founded upon beautiful, unadulterated, sacrificial love for others. That's what we do here, guys. That's what this is about. And in this lies the problem with the Corinthian church and the Cody church. It's not that we don't love. Guys, it's not, your problem is not that you don't love. It's just you love yourself more than anything else. That's your problem. Think about it. Think about all your actions of this past week. Think about all the hurts and pains that have happened in the last week. Think about all the problems you created. Where were your eyes? Where was your heart? Mine was on myself. That's where it came from. Now, you don't want to be honest? That's fine. I'm going to be honest. My heart and my love for myself is the thing that is causing more problems in my life than anything else. It's not what other people do. It's not a church attendance problem. It's not a giving problem. It's not some kind of church issue. It's just my heart loving myself more than loving others. And developing this Christian superiority, right? And... Uh, and forgetting what Paul and Apollos taught the church in Corinth and what the Bible has taught us and what great men have taught me, which is this, the simple truth that in love, God sent his son to become a perfect servant and sacrifice for humanity, that we could be fully and forever set free from the consequence of sin and be united together as one family with God. You know that Jesus did not die so that you could go to heaven and spend a great time with a perfect version of you? That's not what he did. Advancement is like, I got to get to heaven because when I get there, bro, you, if you could see me, that's not what God did. It's to unite our hearts to him. That doesn't make any sense. If you just think for five minutes about who God is, why would he ever want to spend time with the likes of us? David said it, who am I? And what is man that you would be mindful of us? You can create cosmoses. Why would you want to spend time with us? We don't want to spend time with us. But because of selfishness and because the Corinthian church and us, we didn't let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. 
we became more concerned about aligning ourselves with leaders. And we and Cody, you do the same thing. Instead of saying, I follow Paul, I follow Paulos, right? I follow Calvin, I follow John Piper, I follow Todd Wagner, I follow J Jonathan Pakluda, I follow Greg, I follow Randy, I follow Mark, I follow Ben. No, you don't. No, you don't. That's what creates divisions. You don't follow me. If you do, let me know, and I'll remind you you don't follow me. You only follow me in so much as I follow Christ. You follow Christ. That's what's creating divisions in the, in the church at Corinth. As they began to choose leaders and say, I like the way he says it. And so they were divided. I want to show you a clip. Um, this is what happens when self-serving, selfish people, when they pursue their own desire, what they do is they get so caught up in the cup that they stop drinking what's actually in it. Okay? We get so concerned about how it's presented, right? Is that a crystal glass? Or is that just like some puddle and some rock? But here's the thing is, when you're desperately thirsty, you don't care how it comes, do you? Let me show, watch this video. It's hard to see on the screen, right? But that bro just fell in this nasty, bug-filled, brown puddle. It's just in, like it's, it's puddling some rock out in the desert. But what you don't know about that guy is that guy just spent 127 hours with his arm literally trapped between a rock and a hard place, had to chop off his own arm just to get free, running out, hasn't had water for days. Do you think he cares what the water's sitting in? The answer is no, okay, it's really, no, he doesn't care, obviously. He doesn't care. And people who are thirsty for the Lord, man, they're saying, I'll, I'll get it however I can get it. It's not about Paul or Apollos. It's not about whether or not it comes in crystal or if it comes in a clay cup or it comes in just the palm of my hands. If it comes out of a puddle in the dirt, I'm thirsty for God, not the approval of men. You get that? And so Paul says in verse 5, he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? That's what he's saying. Servant through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Notice that he doesn't say who is Apollos or who is Paul. He says what? What he's doing is dehumanizing Paul and Apollos and he's de-pedestalizing them so they realize it's not about us, guys. We're just cups. We're just garden hoses that you can get some water from. That's all we are. We're just a seed bag where the where that stuff came from. It ultimately comes from God. Man, and I've seen this so often. Man, when I was down at Watermark, I saw it a lot. You see it in conferences where people get so enamored with the person, they totally miss what that person said, right? They could literally teach a message about, hey, don't, 
don't make too much of conference speakers. And then they walk up and like, you're awesome at a conference. Like, did you hear anything I just said? And that's what Paul and Paul's are saying. It's like, look, you didn't let this thing that I taught you sit in you. Cody, people. Are we still so divided? Are we still living in this gossip and frustration and anger towards one another and us versus, us versus them mentality? If that's the truth, then you didn't listen to any pastor who's ever taught you. I've never sat in a messenger like, hey guys, it's, we're doing it right, okay? And everybody else is terrible, so don't just, just go out and tell everybody how awful they are. I've never heard a pastor say that. And if they did, I guarantee you people would stop attending there. But yet, why is it that we still walk that way? Aren't we doing that? Some of you got to be honest with yourself that you're running in that gossip because you're not letting the simple truth that God wants to unite all of us around Christ compel you. And that's why this message is so explicit. Because here's the thing, a lot of you guys, man, we have a, our problem is not uh, like our resources. We've got plenty of resources. You guys can go around and you can listen to pastors on, like binge listen on podcasts all week long. But this is what happens. This happens to me. I, I'll go listen to like, you go listen to five podcasts in a week, five pastors, you listen to these messages. And I know a lot of guys that are listening to a ton of messages, but are you actually like moving forward in your faith? Are you becoming more faithful to your family in your ministry and in your ministry to those outside of the church? Like hardly. And so we think that if I listen to more podcasts and I read more, I read my Bible every year and maybe I write a Christian song and I, you know, I do all these things that suddenly I'm going to grow. But the reality is that's not how it works. And he shows us in the next verse. He says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. And this, is, this amazes me, okay? What he's saying is we're, we are nothing but sowers and waterers. We're just water hoses. That's all we are. We're a means of grace. But God is the source of life, which he's the one that makes things grow. So both in our outward ministry and in our personal ministry. I want to say something that might sound like a hot take to you may sound like not true, but here's the reality is, okay? You cannot make yourself grow in your faith. Right or wrong. You cannot make yourself grow in your faith. Paul just said that he can't make you grow. Now, there's times in my life I'd love to, in my pride, say, man, I planted and I watered and I made you grow, bro. But it's not true. So if Paul and Apollos cannot make you grow, let me ask you, are you any different than Paul and Apollos in your own life? You're not. You cannot make yourself grow. Now, that leads to some other questions, right? Like, what is the point then? Me and my wife were wrestling about this uh, this past week. And literally, I, I'm not, it's not like a, a brag. Like, in tears, we're like, man, God, we're gaining knowledge. But I don't know that I'm gaining the fruit of the Spirit. So here's, here's what I'll say. I'll put this forward to you. Is this true? How about this? Have you ever met somebody who they knew all the verses, they knew their Bible deeply, but yet their heart was stone cold? Have you ever met a pastor who, man, he was like, knew the word, was doing ministry, but man, if he would turn on you in a second if you challenged his authority? How about in the Bible? Do we know anybody who's like this? Yeah, we call them the Pharisees. They studied God's word, they memorized more scripture. They prayed more and fasted more than any of you, period. But do they have the fruit of love and joy and peace, patience in their hearts? No, they killed our the Messiah. 
You cannot make yourself grow. You can make yourself a smarter sinner. You can learn a lot more. You can get yourself into, you know, sweeter tables in Christian circles. But only as a smarter sinner, not as a more fully in love saint. So what is the point? Is that what you guys want to know? Like, I want to know. What's the point? What's the point in reading my Bible then, Greg? The, the first core value of Outpost Community Church is devote daily to God's word and prayer. So why do we ask you to do that? Oh, the point is one word, dependence. Think about it. It's just dependence. I, there's a man I know, a friend of mine, he, want, he says this a lot. He says this. If dependence is the goal, then weakness is an advantage. And I would say recognition of your weakness is an advantage. When you begin to realize that you cannot make yourself grow, which a lot of us have come to the end of ourselves and realize that, then what happens when you come to God's word? What happens when you come to prayer? What happens when you, start, when you go to church? Instead of going there to validate your righteousness, you go there to see the righteous one and you say, God, I'm going to read this thing, but I can't do anything unless you help me. God, I'm, I'm coming to you, I'm going to pray, I'm, I'm seeking your face, but I can't change unless you help me. Dependence changes everything. I'm not telling you not to read your Bible. I'm telling you you need to approach your Bible completely different. Don't read your Bible because, well, I should read my Bible, or I should pray. You guys can should all over the place. But the reality is, here's the thing, guys, it's, it's funny because we do it, don't we? Man, we leave, we're just, man, we're default legalists. And God's saying, get over yourself and look to me. One of my favorite passages of scripture says this, 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 3, says, now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. It's not freedom in where the next Bible study plan is, there is freedom. Where that next podcast is, there is freedom. The next verse you're going to memorize, that's freedom. It's not what it is. It says, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, and are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So it says, beholding the glory of the Lord. In other words, it means taking in all who God is, is really the only thing that transforms us from one degree of glory to the next. It's going to scripture with a humble heart because only God brings the growth. Now, should we still do it? Should you still seed and water in your own life? You bet you should. Verse six, I planted Apollos watered, but God gave the roof. Verse seven, oh no, I'm in the wrong place. Verse eight, fast forward. He says this, he who plants and he who waters are one. No one's more valuable than the other. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. Look, it is still good. It's a good work to be a part of in your life. Get in God's word. Get in prayer. Memorize scripture. Let it dwell in you richly so you can teach and admonish others. You can lead one another. You can worship God out of it. But as you do it, realize we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. You belong to God, not to your pastor. You belong to God, not even to yourself. So Paul's ministry and the ministry of others in our lives is one of faithful service to God. God uses it in our lives to grow us,
but the ministry of pastors and disciple makers is like sowing seeds and watering, planting truth and encouraging and shepherding it on to fruitfulness. But man, I have taught a lot of people the word, not all of them have grown. And I can tell you the only difference I see is God, God helping people grow. We have to regard, or, or this is especially true in our own ministry to ourselves. Guys, you have to start to realize that if you want to grow in your faith, it's not going to come through just attending church services. I don't think you're any better person because you showed up here. And you shouldn't think that either. What you should think on is the better one. Set your mind on him. When you get in the word, say, man, even, you, know, you do this, right, where you read the Bible, you like read, and then you're like, okay, I'm done. What did I just read? I have no idea. You ever do that? Every person who's ever read the Bible, ever. Can God use that? Does God work in that? Absolutely. You showed up and you're like, man, that felt meaningless. But our God can use everything. Give all the seeds, give all the water you can, but constantly depend and pray and seek the Lord. Guys, what we need is not another service. What we need is not an, uh, another Bible study. What we need, man, is just get our eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace so that you will be transformed and changed. And that's what we're about to go do right now after this service is our God did what only our God could do as he helped people understand the truth of, of God, the gospel in a simple and beautiful way so that they said, that is God, he is my Lord, I'm gonna follow him for the rest of my days. And now what are we gonna do? We're gonna baptize him. And baptism, friends, we're gonna be uh, some of you are not going to come over there probably, and some of you are, and you're all invited to come over. But let me tell you what baptism is all about, because it is tied to what we just read. Baptism in Romans chapter 6 is tied to the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we, what we do is we take these people, it's kind of a weird thing, right? We take a, a grown person or a child, and we like put our hands on their face, and we dunk them underwater and pull them back up. Uh, to the untrained eye, that's weird, as it should be. But when it's tied to what Christ has done, that before Jesus, I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I had nothing to my name. I could attend all the church services. I could read all the, all the Bible verses. I could do all the good deeds that you could imagine. But I was still dead in my trespasses and sins. I was lost. But God in his goodness and kindness got on a cross and was crucified for my sake, even though he didn't deserve it. And so now Galatians 2.20 says, I... The sinner have been crucified with Christ. So all of who I was and my sin was crucified to the cross. And then Jesus, what do they do with his body? What do they do? They buried it. And so likewise, I was buried into the waters of baptism. And what happened with Jesus three days later? He rose from the grave. And I come up out of the water as a symbol that I was crucified with Christ, I was buried with him, and I was raised to new life. That is what baptism shows us. It's a symbol. There's nothing special about the water. We don't anoint it. It's chlorinated. That's it. And we could baptize you in that puddle. But what really matters is, guys, what happens on the inside. It's not about how clean you look, how tattooed or untattooed you are, or any of that stuff. It doesn't matter how sober-minded you are. If on the inside you're transformed, you are transformed. And so just as salvation is by grace through faith, so our growth is also by grace 
through faith and trust in God, looking to him as the author and perfecter of our faith and saying, I will follow you. I followed you into the waters. I'll follow you out of the waters. I'll follow you all the way to death. You are my God. And that is what baptism is about. That is what this passage is about. And that's what being outpost community church is all about. That's what being the church is all about. We are a pile of sinners who've been crucified with Christ. We no longer live. And together we live for Christ. Him living in us. Amen? Hey, let me pray and give you a couple instructions as we head over. All right? God, thank you for new life. Thank you for that child who is crying. Because it's a reminder to me, God, that we all started as children, as infants in the faith. None of us greater than another. And God, you and your kindness and graciousness, you bottle fed us the simple truth of the gospel. And it was enough for us. It kept us alive. I pray Jesus in this room, there's a lot of us who are, man, we're, we're boys who can shave. We should have progressed onto stakes, but we're still drinking milk. I pray that, God, we wouldn't just move on to steak just so we could be impressive, but, God, we would let what you've taught us dwell in us richly. I pray that you would transform us, God. Make, make the church of Cody a place where we're known for love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control with one another. A family. Transform us, God. May we not look to pastors as our hope, Men who are sinners and are opinionated and who are broken and who are just as much in need of grace as we are. But may we set our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter. Jesus, be the king of the church in Cody. And as we leave here, God, I pray you would use us. Whether we're bottle feeders or meat eaters, God, you would use us. Glorify yourself in us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.